Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA manufacturing media production. Brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Hello and, and welcome to another Talking Industry podcast. My name is Erin Blutstein and I'm Managing Editor for Smart Machines and Factories Portal, Plantworks Engineering and Hydraulics and Pneumatics magazines. I'm joined today by John Krauss, who's the Chief Executive for Engineers Without Borders UK, to find out a bit more about the origins, philosophy and role of the organisation. John, thanks for joining me for this Talking Industry podcast today. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be here. Yeah, I mean, many of our listeners won't have heard of Engineers Without Borders. So could I ask you to begin by just explaining a bit more about, about the origins and purpose of the organisation and how you came to be its chief executive? Well, it's a very good question. Uh, so Engineers Without Borders um, actually consists of uh, lots of Engineers Without Borders organisations all around the world. There's probably about 25 of us who are active in some way, uh, each of them really doing their own thing so that there isn't kind of one one size fits all approach to engineers without borders around the world. It, from the UK perspective, we, we began as a the student initiative back in about 2004 and the idea was that these students came together came to university and they had a belief that engineering could be doing more good for the world uh, than they felt that it was and they they got a got together to think about what well, what do we do about this and began working and the the in the first um, years of, of the organization's existence the focus was as you might expect with the word without borders in the title w was on how does engineering do something outside of the uk and that was really uh the answer to that was really sending individuals uh to spend some time in a community somewhere else in the world and to help them develop uh, some infrastructure. So you could call it humanitarian work. Um, we don't do that anymore. Uh, we stopped doing that a few years ago. Uh, and the reason we stopped doing it was because we felt we could have a greater impact by focusing on education and skills development uh, in the UK, primarily with university students, uh, but also with professionals. And so rather than send a few individuals out to spend a limited time in the community, how can we reach thousands of students um, a year through education and really help them um, develop a mindset of global responsibility that was going to stay with them throughout their careers? And that's what we do now today. Yeah, I mean, so how did you how did you get involved in this organization? I mean, where did you, you know where do your where do you fit into this um, you know the engineers without borders? What what inspired you to to be the chief executive? I mean, it's obviously a big role. Yeah, well, I think the the, the I mean, I've, I've got a sort of long varied history of doing lots of many different types of things. I've had a career in international relations, which involved. Uh, global issues, whether it was development issues, whether it was human rights, whether it was climate change, uh, but other issues of security and, and so on. So I kind of have a kind of international uh, perspective, if you like, from, from my past career. I've also spent quite a bit of time working in the professional bodies and the built environment sector. So related to the work of engineers, I've seen the impact that uh, the engineers and allied 
professionals can have on the world uh, for good and for bad. Uh, and prior to being to coming to engineers without borders, I was running a a learned international learned society which was specifically promoting uh, sustainable practices and sustainable solutions into your technical engineering. But what brought me to engineers without borders, I think really is a values alignment. The engineers without borders really espouses um, values of global responsibility. These are about being responsible, about being purposeful, about being inclusive and regenerative. And I think that values alignment was the thing that really spoke to me. So when you say global responsibility, um, can you just define a little bit more about what you mean by that? I mean, are you talking about environment? Are you talking about, I mean, what are you, what are you trying to kind of focus on, I suppose? So our philosophy, if you like, is based on on a number of um, pillars. Firstly, you know, it's important that we meet the development needs of human beings. And those are encapsulated in things called the Sustainable Development Goals. Many people will have heard of those, but in brief, they're covering all areas such as decent access to education, decent health care, sanitation, equal rights for women, these sorts of really, really important issues that everybody in the world really has a right to. And uh, that's great. The SDGs, we have targets set by governments to meet those by 2030. Now, that's all fine, really important. But at the same time, we have to think about the burden we're putting on our planet. And there's been work done by the Stockholm Resilience Centre, which looks at the the planetary boundaries. So what are the limits of strain, if you like, that we can put on the planet for the planet to remain a safe environment for humans to enjoy those development goals that I just talked about. And those kind of limits refer to things like, you know, the damage we're doing to the ozone layer. How thick is that? Now, fortunately, we've managed to improve the, the state of the ozone layer through through engineering interventions. But, you know, what level of acidification do we have in the oceans? How much nitrogen and phosphorus are we pouring into the uh, into our ecosystems? How many microplastics? What's the level of these so-called novel entities that we're loading into the planet? Climate change, of course, is one of these planetary boundaries. And so we have to stay within these planetary boundaries. So our philosophy is how do you balance, um, you know, the need, the imperative for people to be able to develop and have a decent standard of living? How do you balance that with the planet's ability to to, to, to cope with the strain that we're putting on it? And the, the answer, it, one answer that, that we would give is that engineering has a very fundamental role in doing that. We know all about the technology that we can use, but are we using technology responsibly? Um, and so this is really what, what we're about. It's it's creating the skills the that the future engineers need in order to help us carve a sustainable pathway into the future. So, I mean, you talk about, uh, I know I, I've spoken to you um previously but you've mentioned donut economics could you explain a little bit more what you mean by that yeah so uh, it's a little bit hard to describe donut economics without actually having a diagram but the donut economics is precisely about balancing the sdgs the state development goals and the planetary boundaries because the, the idea is the more you try and strive towards human development then the natural tendency is to use more and more resources Mm-hmm. And so as you use more resources, you put more pressure on those planetary limits. Now, if you go too far, if you expand, if you like, the size of the donut for development purposes, you exceed the planet's boundaries and the whole thing 
risks collapsing. On the other hand, if you try and be too protective of the planet's resources, um, you'll end up not meeting the mm. sustainable development goals because people do need to use a level of resources. So there's a kind of happy medium, if you like. And when this is presented as a diagram, the happy medium it looks like a ring or a donut. So if we live within the center of the donut, the hole in the middle, we're conserving the planet's resources but we're not meeting human needs if we live within the body of the donut we're, we're achieving that balance and once you move outside the outer ring of the donut then you're achieving sustainability but you're causing environmental collapse uh, which inevitably destroys sustainability where we're at, at the moment by the way is that we are already exceeding some of the planetary boundaries we are using far too many of the earth's resources yeah. um, and still billions of people are not enjoying the standard of living to which they, they, they should have a right while a minority of people of course are using resources at a, an egregiously excessive rate okay so, so what exactly is engineers without borders doing to to address these issues so our, our aim is really to focus on the skills, the knowledge and the mindset that engineers need to um, think about the outcomes of engineering. So um, to give you an example of, the, of what I mean by that, um, it's it's um, firstly engineering is 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 um, like many other disciplines is very highly specialized. We've gone through a period of history in which we've put extreme value on high specialization uh, of individuals in their skills, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's achieved very very many good outcomes, but the flip side of this is that if you work in very specialized areas, you become less aware of your impact um, outside of that specialized area, you're less aware of the unintended consequences of your work. And so we need to find ways to move beyond the silos of working, to have a more global mindset in what we're doing. And a further aspect of this specialization, if you like, is, is um, solutions can be technology led. Uh, so the one one approach that an engineer might typically take is to say, okay, um, in order to improve things, I'm going to do what we've always done, but just in a more efficient way. So a good example of that would be electric cars. You know, we 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 want to get rid of carbon emissions at the, at the tailpipe. So why not replace an internal combustion engine with a battery? Fabulous, you know, solution. It's right there. Everyone can understand it. It makes sense, um, or so it would seem. But actually, that's only solving one problem. It's only solving the CO2 problem. It's not solving many, many other problems of sustainability that are associated with everybody trying to drive around in a real car. And I'll give you one example of that. Um, about 40%, possibly more, of all of the microplastics that enter our oceans actually come from road wear. So the paints that are used on roads are eroded by vehicles. They end up immediately as microplastics, which find their way through drainage systems into the rivers and then ultimately the sea. The same with tires. Um, huge amounts of microplastics directly produced by, by tire erosion. About 40% of the microplastics in the ocean. Replacing the engine of a car with a battery is not going to do anything to solve that microplastics problem. In fact, it might even make it worse because on average, electric vehicles tend to be heavier than, than cars with petrol engines, and therefore you would expect them to, to wear through tires more quickly. So the, 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 you know, the, we're, we're solving one problem, 
but we're yeah. failing to address another urgent problem. And um, now, why would you do this, right? So what, why would you know the people who design electric cars, clearly they're, they're trying to do good. You know, they're thinking we're, we're doing a great thing, but they're not seeing the bigger picture. Uh, and so the what we're trying to do is to say, look, you've got to find ways to see the bigger picture and really understand the impacts of your decisions before you leap to the technological solution. What from from your perspective, how are you going to achieve? Uh, how are you going to achieve this? Are you going to um, educate um, engineers who are already in the market, or is it about educating the future generation of engineers? And how do you do that? It's, well, it, we, it, yeah. sounds, it sounds a really complicated. Uh, um, it's 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 really. very complex. So so we we have to do both. Um, where we've been historically is focused in the university space, the future engineers. Um, that's you know where we've been. We'd like, and we are trying. In fact, we are actively taking steps to get more into the professional space because that's where decisions are being taken right now today. Um, but what we're doing is is essentially, uh, and I can talk about this in more detail. But but just very briefly, is we have a whole series of programs that um, give students exposure to what we call active learning. So not book learning, not lectures, but active learning to understand what global responsibility in engineering really means. Uh, so that's the, that's the core thing we do. Those design that we do this through design challenges. Again, I can talk about that in more detail if you'd like me to. Uh, professionals can also take part in those design challenges. Then we work with companies to um, embed um, skills, professional skills, and we've developed a, um, a tool that does precisely this, which says, you know, we know that engineers already have fantastic technical skills. So if you're a civil engineer, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, whatever you are, you've got great technical skills. You, you've learned them at university, you've practiced them at work, your CBD has developed those further. You're very passionate about that and you're very good at it. We are not going to help you with that because you don't need help with that. What we are trying to do is to say, how do you take all those diverse and really useful technical skills and overlay them with an approach which allows the civil engineer and, and the mechanical engineer to talk to each other in a common way about effectively sustainability, not only between themselves as of, of, as different in types of engineer, if you like, but also with other professionals and allied professionals, whether it's architects or planners, whoever it might be, and also with your clients and also with, with the wider community and the public and legislators, regulators, and so on. So that's that's our approach, is to develop a way of bringing all these disparate skills together to focus technical brilliance onto um, excellent outcomes for people on planet. And is that formed as part of a, a like a degree, or or what, what, what is it? Is it built into a um, you know the actual program itself, or is it something that you offer students and they can say yes, I'd like to find out more as a as an extra curriculum. So, so all of the above. <laughs> um, so, so, so the, the 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 main design challenges that we do are part of the curriculum in already in thirty five universities in the UK. We're probably facilitating something like a million hours of active learning a year right. through that. Uh, so that's in the curriculum, but it's still a bolt on. So you know we're really pleased uh, that you know thousands of students here are doing this as part of their curriculum, supported by their educators we also um, help we, we we provide training for the educators to be able to teach this stuff but it, it's still a bolt-on so 
what we what we're not yet seeing is the university curriculum running right you know with sustainability running right through it for the three or four years of a degree course so the students are still doing engineering they're doing our design challenges which is a really important thing for them but then for most of their course they're not really hearing very much about sustainability again so we have an active plan we're working with the royal academy of engineering to change that to, to work with universities to embed sustainability global responsibility is what we call it throughout the whole of a three or four year course so that would then really embed it in the curriculum yeah yeah i can i can see i mean so what skills would you say today's engineers require um, to help with sustainability that perhaps our predecessors didn't require? I mean, what, what sort of things are you um, kind of highlighting and, and how are you teaching that? Yeah, so the I mean, if, if you look at um, there's a World Skills 2025 report written by the World Economic Forum, I believe, and it sort of lists the top 10 skills needed. Uh, and I always, you know, these top 10 lists always come with a bit of a health warning, you know, that they're not don't take them as being totally scientific. But the sorts of skills that are in there are not really about technology, although technology is listed as one. Um, they're really about things like flexibility, resilience, social leadership, creativity, ideation, collaboration, facilitation. Uh, skills which um, some people would call soft skills. We refer to them, at Engineers Without Borders UK, as critical skills. Um, because really, uh, I, when, it, when it comes down to it, what we're seeing is, is that you know the challenges that are being faced by engineers now and in the future are increasingly complex. They're increasingly interconnected and the systems that they're going to have to deal with are increasingly chaotic. The environment is a good example of that. The climate is a good example of that. So um, in order to really deal with these complex problems within chaotic systems, you need to have more divergent thinking than we have now. So our, our focus is on that. How do you take people from a, from a position of, of being able to have knowledge and to be able to understand right through to actually being creative with that being able to address problems that are truly uh, chaotic so um it's really about helping people have that different mindset and set of skills to be comfortable with dealing with much more complex and interconnected problems than they ever had to in the past mm. you know in in the past you know the people who put who put men on the moon that they were only thinking about putting men on the moon right they weren't thinking about the carbon emissions they weren't thinking about the environmental impact they weren't thinking about the social just put a man on the moon was, was the goal and they did it very well um but unfortunately we don't have the luxury of that anymore we, we now live in a world where we do have to think about the impacts of everything we do whether we like it or not and so how can you inculcate this kind of mindset in people so one of these would be um would be uh, a mindset that we call technology stewardship which is really about um, being able to navigate the complex relationships and the inherent tensions uh, of technology to ensure sustainable and equitable results. Um, so another one would be uh, being regenerative, which is really around thinking, um, for example, you know, if I'm involved in a piece of infrastructure, um, in the past, I might not have thought at all about its environmental impact, Today, maybe I'm thinking about how I limit the damage that's done. In the future, 
really that piece of infrastructure, you need to be thinking not just about limiting the damage that's done, but actually, does it actually have a positive beneficial impact? Can it improve the ecosystem you're putting into it? So an example, a simple example would be something like, you know, if you're building an offshore wind turbine, which does have an environmental footprint, okay, it's great for CO2, but it still has an environmental footprint. Mm -hmm. Could that wind turbine, the way it's anchored to the seabed, for example, could that provide a basis for new marine habitat, which would improve um, uh, marine biodiversity and has a benefit for human beings, by the way, of ensuring a future food supply? So that there's, you know, think about you know, not just I'm putting this wind turbine up to create clean energy, but actually, is there an opportunity here through this investment to improve? the environment that it's, that it's sitting within. I suppose that the learning process is kind of constantly evolving. And, and I know you've just launched um, your uh, global responsibility competency, competency compass. Could you just explain what that actually is kind of relatively concisely? Um, because you're, you're, you're trying to promote that, aren't you, within the kind of professional development sphere? Yeah, so I mean, we, we recognize that you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to learn to be more globally responsible, and more sustainable in their work, but they don't really know where to start. They might be uh, time limited. Uh, they may be able to afford to pay for a course. They may not be able to afford to pay for a course. Uh, they they might not quite know where to which skills to really focus on to begin with. So what we what we've done is produce a tool which says, okay, look here here's this concept of global responsibility here's four very simple principles that underpin it which relates to a number of competences 12 in total and you as an individual can look at those competences very quickly and you can say okay this is the one or two that i really want to make a start on i want to make a start on life-centered design for example i want to make a start on how i can be more diverse and equitable in in my work and then we say okay that's what you want to make a start on using this tool we'll point you to resources that you can very easily find. And by the way, they're not our resources. So we're not trying to sell engineers on that borders mm -hmm. training. Uh, we're just trying to point people to resources that they can use very easily for self-directed learning. Uh, but it could be an individual that does this. It could be a team that does it. It could be a whole organization. The tool could be applied to individuals right through to organizational sizes. But it's really about, hence the name Compass, it's about helping people navigate through what they need to learn to be global responsible and where they can find the resources. Now we've launched this, it's online, it's on our website. Um, and it's it, we've, just, we've only just launched it. So, you know, we have a digital learning library behind it. We want that to grow. So we want people to use it. We want people to critique it. They want We want them to tell us where the gaps are, where perhaps they say, okay, I've looked at this, here's a great course. Do you know what? I know of an even better course. Tell us about it, because the more we can get this kind of almost like crowdsourced, um, you know, resources, the more we can have the impact that we need to have. So can companies add to it or individuals add to it or do they just go to your website and um, just log on and and. Yeah, so. so so you go to the website, you log on. We we do ask you to to give your 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 details so that we can at least have an idea of you know yeah. where we're reaching. Are we reaching all civil engineers? Are we reaching mechanically? Mm -hmm. You know who is it we're reaching? Um, and then you can go in. You can certainly use the materials that we point you to. You can suggest materials to us, but the act of suggesting 
a learning resource doesn't mean that it gets into the learning library because we we obviously need to do a bit of yep. quality control so all of the resources that we point to at the moment on there have been quality checked you know they do speak to the competences that were and this is part of part of the value of the compass is that you know you can google lots of stuff and think i found a good course um to address one of these competences but it might not actually be as good as, as the marketing suggests. So what we've done is we've already done a filtering process uh, to help signpost you to stuff that we believe is already, you know, good quality. I mean, are you are you also finding any sort of negative um, perspectives from from companies? Are they saying to you, "Well, I don't have time"? Maybe the you know that it doesn't need as as much um, training as 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 perhaps you're kind of highlighting to people. Do you get that vibe or, or are you actually having more positive um, feedback from, from people? Well, I, I think with any change programme, you know, you get people who, who who question the value. I mean, you know, people question the value of health and safety years ago. Yeah. And, and now I think that probably it's just broadly accepted. People question the importance of diversity and inclusion years ago. And now I think it's, it's broadly accepted. Ethics, likewise. So I think, um, you know, people do understand the value of sustainability. They understand that their companies are having to give ESG reports. They understand understand that um, shareholders are asking for for performance reports uh, on all of this there'll always be pockets of resistance um and people will always say they're too busy doing something else so we're trying to make it easy for people but i think that i mean i just been um i spent two days just this week at a an industry conference uh it happened to be in utility sector mm-hmm. and um uh, a lot of the people there were talking about well, how do we retain the talent that we've managed to attract and a big I mean it wasn't me saying this this was them saying it mm-hmm. they were saying uh, one big um, you know uh, tool in our armory if you'd like to keep people is to give them a sense of purpose and you know people are joining companies and if you can give them a sense of purpose they're more likely to stay with you uh, and th- this is really what we're trying to do through our competency conference it's all about how you not just have the sense of purpose but having got that sense of purpose what on earth you then do to fulfill it because that's the hard bit right and so we're trying to make it very 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 practical unfortunately time is running out so i'd just like to ask you one more question um what are your hopes for Engineers Without Borders over the next five years? And what do you hope to to achieve and where do you hope to be? So we, we have a goal of uh, upskilling 250,000 people by 2030. We've already reached about 70,000. So we've, we're well on the way to, to doing that. And the reason we want to reach that 250,000 is we think that's enough people in engineering to create a tipping point, a positive tipping point whereby the engineering sector is behaving in a way that's globally responsible. So that's really what we want to achieve. Great, John. Thanks so much for your time and good luck with all your projects. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps. Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.